Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here. Uh, I don't know about you, but that song got me going. And uh, I don't know who you are here today or what you believe or uh, what, how you view things, but let me tell you some truth right out of the front door. I'm going to step through the front door this morning. I don't know how your life is going, but if everything is wrong in your world, God is still on the throne. Yep, it's okay to speak back. We're good. I don't know if you've lost somebody in your life that means something desperately dear to you, but God is still on the throne. I don't know if you're upset about masks or COVID or somebody got COVID or you're mad because you have to wear them or the policies and you saw Dane County and you saw Camp Randall full of people with no masks and you're ticked off about it, but God is still on the throne. Jesus still died for you. He would die for you. He will die for you. He has died for you. Your sins are forgiven. If you would only accept him, he is still on the throne. All you have to do is speak the name of Jesus. I know, I'm walking. I slammed through your front door this morning. I hope you're here not to go through any motions today. We are here to worship God. We are here to praise the name of Jesus. Whether we want to or not, whether we feel like it or not. And I just want you to know, I'm coming out firing on all cylinders, I feel like, this morning. But uh, I want you to know that God loves you. And I love you. And no matter how we feel about God or anything else is going to change that. You cannot do anything to make God love you more or love you less than he already does because he loves you perfectly now. And that's how I'm going to try to love you as well. I'm human, so I'm not as good as God. But I'm going to do my best. So I'm glad you're here. Maybe you've heard this uh, phrases, do as I say, not as I do. Have you heard that before? Maybe you've said that to your children before, right? Do as I say, not as I do. Maybe you've heard this, actions speak louder than words. Have you heard that? I bet you have. Have you heard this, talk is cheap. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Right now, what do all of those phrases mean? Well, all of those phrases very simply mean that truly words are cheap if we do not back them up with action. With true, genuine, authentic living according to what we say. If we do not do what we say, then what we say doesn't matter. Right, And so today we are going to wrap up the series. We've been in this series for a very long time. If I were going to be honest, it's hard for me to let this series go because it's attached to my dad. But I'm thankful that my dad gave us these 12 phrases that have been one of the best series that we've ever done at, at Northridge. And so today we're going to wrap up different for a change 
by going to the last phrase that my dad spoke, that my dad wrote down. He spoke this, he lived this. And, and this is one of the most powerful phrases that we can ever attached to, of course. It's the last one that he jotted down several months ago before he passed. And this phrase is, teach less, model more. So we're going to jump into the book of Matthew, chapter 23. If you like to follow along in your own Bible or in your phone app or whatever you like to do, go ahead and turn there. Matthew, chapter 23. We're only going to be there for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to jump into kind of where that leads us. But Matthew, chapter 23. So in Matthew chapter 23, we have this interesting, interesting context. Jesus is in the temple area in the city of Jerusalem. And he is teaching a crowd of people. And there's really two groups of people in the crowd. There's the regular crowd of people. People like maybe you and I, they're just kind of there and like, wow, this Jesus guy is pretty awesome. And so we want to hear him teach. And so they're there. They're listening to his teaching. And then there's another group of people. It was the religious teachers and the Pharisees that were also in the crowd, and they were there for a different reason. They were intrigued by Jesus, but they also were threatened by Jesus because Jesus was taking some of their authority. Jesus was taking some of their popularity. Jesus was taking some of the attention off of them and putting it onto himself, and they didn't like that, and so they're there to try to throw a wrench into Jesus's teaching and his plans, and so what happens is Jesus is teaching, and then these religious teachers, these Pharisees, these religious elites the authority in the law of Moses, the Bible of that time, they would constantly interrupt Jesus with questions trying to make him sound bad, right? Have you ever had anybody in the room, the boardroom, at, at your work or in your home? I'm sure your family would never do this to you. And they ask a question simply to get at you to see if you know what you're really talking about, to discredit you maybe. That's what go was going on with Jesus as he was teaching. And so where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 23, we're going to start with verse 1, but it's right in the midst of his teaching. We're going to pick it up where Jesus decides it's now time to call out the Pharisees and the religious teachers for who they are. Oh, isn't this going to be fun? So let's jump in, Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 1, going through verse 7. This is what Jesus says to the crowd about the religious teachers and Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Ooh, wasn't that a fun moment if you were there? 
right? Those of you who are relational people, peacemakers in the room, that's where you would have been like, "Mm, oh man, that is serious. Jesus just called them out, right? If this was in our day, this is where Jesus says it, mic drop, done, right? This is like Jesus is saying, okay, you guys, thank you for trying to discredit me. Thank you for trying to discredit me. Thank you for trying to throw a wrench into this. Try to, try to embarrass me. Try to throw me under the bus with the people. Let me tell you who you are now. It's my turn. And he calls them what? Hypocrites. That's what he says, right? In fact, later on, I didn't read this part, but he calls them. He says it out loud. He says, you hypocrites. In fact, he says it multiple times in this chapter. If you need something that is not encouraging but is really blunt and really honest, read the rest of chapter 23. Wow, Jesus does not hold punches in Matthew chapter 23. This is just the beginning. He he gets rolling after this. Okay? He keeps going after them. Okay, tr- trust me, if you want to read who Jesus really is, yes, he loved them. Yes, he loves all people. Yes, he died for you. But let me tell you that Jesus is no pushover. He is strong. He knows what he's doing. And he calls them hypocrites. And he says in verse 3, listen to what he says. He says, these people, they practice, you, you need to practice and obey whatever they tell you. So he basically says, they are the authority. They know what they're talking about. They know the law of Moses. They know the scriptures. They know. Remember, they didn't have this whole Bible yet. All they had was the law of Moses, which is the first part of the Old Testament. They had the law of Moses, but that's it. And he said, they are official authority teachers on that. So listen to what they say. Just don't do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. It was a scathing, truthful statement. Don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. Jesus was talking about their motives. He's saying they look good on the outside. If you look at their life, they look good on the outside. But in reality, all they want is to promote themselves. Look at my extra long tassels. It's because I'm so holy. Look at these prayer boxes. You know what they were called? They were called phylacteries. They would either wear them on their arms or they would wear them on their foreheads. And and it basically showed, hey, I've got scripture literally in me and on me, right? It was was to show their, their holiness. And so they had extra wide prayer boxes to let everybody know, hey, I know scripture better than you do. Jesus said, it's all a show. It's all a show. Yes, listen to what they say. Just don't live like they live. Because they are off. So why do I bring that up? The reason I bring this story up is because I think when my dad wrote, teach less, model more, I think he had this dynamic in mind. Maybe he was thinking this story, I don't know that. But I think that what my dad was saying is that talk truly is cheap if we don't back it up with right living. Right? You can promise all you want. You can talk all you want, all day you want. But unless it's followed up with action, it doesn't matter. And so here's what I want to do today. I think it's very fitting, very appropriate that we would end this series this way. 
So what I want to do is I want to give you four ways, four areas of life, four principles that my dad not only taught, but lived. This is his legacy. These are things that I know to be true because I lived with him and around him for a long time. I want to give you four things that my dad lived as well as taught in his life. All right, you ready? Here we go. Number one, God is first and center. This one's not going to be a surprise, but it's really the most important one of the four. I don't usually start that way. You guys know that. I kind of build up right to the, the biggest one, the most important one maybe. But this is the biggest and most important one of all of them that my dad lived by and had in his life, that God is first and center. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. So a few weeks ago, I shared this story that my, when my dad was a junior in high school, he was a phenom basketball player. I mean phenomenal. So he lived and grew up in high school in Muncie, Indiana, which is a huge, it was a massive, massive high school, huge high school in central Indiana, where, as you know, probably a lot of us know, basketball is next to religion. Right? It is like the thing. Right? If you've heard of the movie Hoosiers, like that was not just a thing. It was the thing. Okay? And so my dad was the starting point guard on the varsity basketball team for the Muncie Bearcats. Okay? This massive high school in central Indiana. He was a starter as a junior. Okay? This is a big, big, big deal. But the problem is that when he got close to basketball season time, it, kind of going into that year, he also was a singer, and he, he was actually singing with this Christian traveling singing group. And he knew, based on the coaches, his parents, and everything else, that he was going to be forced this year, because of all the commitments that he had, to choose between doing this Christian singing group and doing basketball. And what I shared a few weeks ago was that he chose that year to give up basketball. Now, I don't want us to sit here and think that I'm sharing that story so that if you're in sports or you have some hobby that you're really good at, that God is asking you today to give that up so that you can put him first and center. Maybe he wants you to use that skill and that gift and that ability to put God first and center in your life and other people's lives. But that wasn't the case for my dad. He knew that God was calling him to something different. And so, and my dad would tell you, that was one of the hardest decisions he ever had to make. He, I can tell you he loves sports. He loved basketball. In fact, uh, I, I'm, uh, again, as you know, I'm way off script. But one of the things that he drove him nuts about the neighborhood that my, my mom lives in, that they live in, is that the driveway was not flat. So he couldn't put a basketball hoop up. Drove him nuts. You can't take Indiana out of the dude, right? I mean, you just can't. He loved it, and he gave it up. Why? Because he knew God was asking him to. Even as a junior in high school, my dad started to realize. He didn't do it perfectly. He didn't do all four of these principles perfectly, but he did live them consistently and faithfully. And so he gave up basketball, and it was a critical decision because that spring, so just a few months after basketball season that he didn't play, 
God made it very clear, I'm calling you to be a pastor for the rest of your life. And my dad served as a pastor for the rest of his life, faithfully to his very last day. And it's because he chose to put God first and center in his life at the very beginning. Let me give you another uh, example of this. So fast forward many, many years. Uh, my mom and dad are now married, like basketball is kind of in the rearview mirror, high school, college, all in the rearview mirror. Now my dad has been a pastor for a few years, and now our family, it's my mom and dad, and then myself, and then my younger brother Bryce. We all live in Rapid City, South Dakota. My dad is the lead pastor at the church there. And then somehow, I don't know the whole story. You'll have to ask mom. I'm sure she would love it. She loves to talk to people about all this stuff. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. See, I usually do this to my wife. Today, it's mom. Uh, so so don't, don't ask her about that. But let me just tell you, I don't know how all this worked out. But essentially, they found out. They got a call from a church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And this church was asking them to move to or consider moving to Wisconsin to become the lead pastor of this church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And, uh, and so after several conversations and interviews, and we call it candidating in church world, they candidated the church. My, my parents, I remember this, my parents came in and sat Bryce and I, my younger brother and I, down, and they said, so this is what we think is going on. We believe that God is calling us to move away from Rapid City, South Dakota, and move to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and become the pastor at this church in, uh, in Eau Claire. Uh, but we wanted to ask how you would feel about that. We want to know, you know, what you think about that. Well, Bryce and I, being who we are, we were nice, but we were also honest and truthful and forthright. And so we told them we didn't like it. Who does? Who says, yes, I would like to leave everybody I know and the family and the, you know, the, all, everybody that was there, we had, you know, some, a little bit of family there, and, and friends, schools, right? I was getting ready to go into seventh grade, Everybody knows middle school is like, oh, chaos, right? You're trying to figure everything out in life in like two years in middle school, right? Who, what, what is going on in middle school? And we're going to move and I'm going to know nobody? Yes, let's do that. That's awesome. No, we were like, no, we don't want to do this. We don't like this. But deep down, Bryce and I, even then, and I don't know if we express this, but even deep down, we kind of knew that it was right. And so to say that when we moved to Eau Claire that it was hard would be an understatement. It was, it was hard. But I can tell you that Bryce and I learned two things through that season. We learned that my dad and my parents together were always going to put God first and center of our life. But we also learned that even when they were going to make a decision that Bryce and I did not want, did not like, did not want to do, did not want to accept, even when, and by the way, we, I mean, we didn't want that. I just said that. Even when that was the case, they would follow God faithfully even when their kids didn't want it. But did you catch what they did before we moved they sat us down and they said, we just want to hear from you. We want to know how you feel about it. They allowed us to voice our opinion. Even though we really didn't want to do it, they knew God wanted us to. 
And I can tell you, uh, I would need a f- the rest of this day to tell you why that was the right decision. All the things that have happened since then, it was the right decision. No doubt about it. So my, my dad always put God first and center of our life. So the question that I have for you, the first question, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions here today. And the first question is, how are you modeling putting God first and center in your life? Do you make decisions and then ask God to bless them? Or do you consider what God wants you to do and then make the decision? There is a difference. There is a difference. Is God first and center in your life? in your family, in your marriage. The second principle that my dad not only taught about but lived out was that family and marriage was valued. We could also add in just in general relationships were greatly, greatly valued. And the truth is sometimes, let's be honest, we're not going to like what I'm about to say, but let's be real here this morning. Sometimes we elevate and we put family first in our life. Especially in the United States, we put family comes first. If it's God or family, family's it, right? And so we make decisions based on children. We make decisions based on, you know, where we want to live. We make decisions based on what we want to do and how much we need to make and all those kinds of things. And we kind of place family as the number one, and then we hope that God will bless it. Let me just tell you that you have to flip-flop that. Because your family can't be the driver of your life. You know why? I I could sit down and tell you the mistakes I've made in my life, and we'd be here a while. If I'm the driver of our family, we're in trouble. If my wife is the driver of our family, we'd be doing better than me, but we're still in trouble. God has to drive it. God has to be the hub. God has to be the all. The best thing you can do for your children is to show them that you're going to follow Jesus even when it's hard, even when life is messed up, even when this world can't get right. That's the best thing you can do for them. So my dad did that. I remember uh, an example of this. So it was was Christmas season. And... um, And our family had a tradition that we would spend like half a day or an evening decorating the Christmas tree together, right? Maybe some of you have this tradition. Maybe you don't. That's totally fine. But this was our tradition. So we would get the whole family and we'd mark it off. And and this was our evening. And we'd come together and we'd get the tree put up and we'd decorate. We'd put the lights on. We'd put the, you know, the ornaments on. And and, uh, mom and dad would always have, usually mom, I would say mom and dad, no, mom would do this. Uh, Mom would get the hot chocolate ready, right? And we'd have Christmas music music playing, right? Just blaring. Like it was there. It was all good. Actually, because mom did it, it wasn't blaring, but it was there, right? 
And, and we usually had cinnamon rolls. Like, I can tell you all the things that we did. It was a thing, right? This is what we do as a family. It's a special, amazing time where we decorate the tree. Well, this particular year, I was, I don't know if I was in middle school, maybe early high school, maybe a freshman in high school. So Bryce, my younger brother, he's four years younger than me. He's probably in upper elementary, you know, kind of age, getting into that preteen stage, whatever the case is. And we were downstairs. We were watching TV on this particular day. And we knew we were going to be decorating the tree because we had talked about it as a family and all kind of stuff. And we were watching TV. And for whatever reason, Bryce and I weren't feeling the whole let's decorate the tree that day. Right? You ever feel this way? Ever feel like it's kind of you're rowing against the current, you know, with your family? So Bryce and I, that's where we were. We, whatever we were watching, whatever we were doing, we wanted to keep doing that. And so my parents called down and said, hey, it's time to come up and decorate the tree. And, you know, yada, 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 whatever. And we're like, no, okay, whatever. We just kind of ignored. And, and they, you know, called down again. And then, then, you know, they said, hey, no, it's really time to get, you know, decorate the tree. You need to come up. And we're like, you know, Dad, can we just, can we just watch TV tonight instead of, like, decorating the tree? Oh, man. Let me, let me just tell you. You ever have that moment when you know you not only crossed the line, but you jumped into another universe that, and you are all wrong? That's what happened. So dad went back up, and I don't remember how long it was. It wasn't long. But he came back down, and we heard him come back down. And my dad was very gentle, always. And he came back down. He didn't yell. But the tenseness in his voice and the look on his face told Bryce and I that it would be good for our life to turn the TV off and get our tail upstairs. Two things I learned, and I'm guessing the rest of the family would remember that night. I know my mom does. Because we hurt our parents that night. We chose TV over family time. We chose TV over creating a memory that was very, very special to our family. And I remember that night. It was special. It was amazing. We all hung out. We all decorated the tree. It was amazing. It was an amazing night. But two things I know is this. My dad was always going to protect. He was going to fight for his wife, my mom. He knew it hurt him, but he knew how much it hurt her. And he went to battle for her. He made sure his two sons would never forget that day. And I'm thankful that he did. And the second thing I learned was that my dad was always going to fight for our family time and our marriage, his marriage and, and all the things that needed to go into that. He was going to fight for it every day, no matter how hard. Even if it meant calling us out in our selfishness and making us come upstairs. The question I have for you is how are you modeling, valuing your marriage your relationships, your family today? How are you valuing those around you that you know need to be valued? All right, the third principle that my dad not only taught but lived out was honesty and integrity. 
Honesty and integrity. My dad, uh, let me just, I, I, I could tell a lot of stories. I've decided not to today just for sake of time. But my dad lived this out. He was honest. He had integrity. And by the way, we usually know what honesty is, right? It's not lying, right? It's telling the truth. And by the way, if there's truth, but you withheld some of the truth, just so that we're clear here this morning, that's still called lying. <laughs> All right? Just so that we're clear, right? That's still lying. Honesty is not lying, right? Or it's telling the truth. But then we sometimes get mixed up with what integrity is. Let me give a very simplistic view. This is really almost too simplistic. It kind of cuts out some things that integrity is. But just for the sake of being clear this morning, let me give you the simplistic understanding of integrity. Integrity is being willing to do the same thing when no one is around as when someone is around okay yes We're, we all understand integrity is being willing to do the same exact thing speak the same way act exactly the same way when no one is around as when anyone else is around whoever it is and that it doesn't change depending on who is there right by the way this is always kind of fun and kind of evil on my part but I sometimes see people squirm when the pastor walks in the room I've seen this oh, oh, oh you know I have a conversation with somebody 15 minutes in and then they find out I'm a pastor and then they go oh I've actually had people do apologize for what they said 15 minutes ago I'm like I'm just a guy I'm here it's okay we're real let's it's good. My dad was honest and had a lot of integrity. Let me read Proverbs 10.9. It says this. It says, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. We can't get away with walking without integrity. In fact, let me ask you this question. Are there areas or things in your life that if people found out, you would be embarrassed, ashamed, or scared of what would happen when they found out? I know we don't like that question, but I'm going to ask it again. Are there things in your life that if somebody showed up, that you would be either ashamed, embarrassed, or scared of what would happen? Doesn't that tell you something? You know what that tells you? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. That's what it's telling you. We've, we've talked to our kids about this all the time. Did you, ever, did you feel like maybe, like you, even as you were doing that, that you wouldn't, shouldn't do that? Yeah. That's Holy Spirit trying to get you not to do it. Is there an area of your life that needs to be adjusted, that needs to be lined up with integrity, maybe with your computer? Maybe your phone, maybe your relationship. Maybe a habit, maybe it's a secret addiction that nobody knows about. Integrity is doing and being the exact same when no one is around as when somebody is. Is there somewhere in your life that that doesn't line up? How are you modeling integrity and honesty in your life? All right, one more. 
This is a big one, and it's a subtle one because it's usually hidden. It's not one that's visible. It's not one that we usually see. But one thing that my dad really lived out was this principle of growth and accountability. So one thing that I love about my dad almost more than anything is his incredible humility and his ability and willingness to place people around him that would make him better, stronger, and help him to grow and move forward in life. Accountability. Who is speaking truth into your life? What we all know is that we are and we become who we're around. Right? You realize that, right? Who we invite into our life to speak into our life and to influence our life is who we become. Our people around us, they can either elevate us or diminish us. People in our life, they can either hold us accountable for our actions or they can enable wrong behavior. You guys see this all the time, right? With kids, everything else. They can either elevate or they can diminish. They can either hold you accountable or they can enable bad behavior. They can increase your faith or they can decrease your faith. They can help you deepen your faith or they can make it shallower. How are you modeling growth and accountability in your life? Who are you surrounding yourself with? So I want to end this morning by sharing one last thing. Um, Those of you that were at my dad's memorial service, you already know this because I shared this. But one thing that my dad mentioned to the family, to the adults in the family anyway, uh, he mentioned a couple of different things. One, he said, I want you to always remember to stay true north. He always said, he said, stay true north. Always keep your eyes focused on God. Always point to God and point other people, everybody else around you to God. He said, stay true north, which was, it was his way of saying, make sure you stay close to God and help other people to do that. And another thing that he mentioned in his last days was he said that he wanted to make or get compasses for the grandkids to remind them to stay true north. And so we, we worked really, really hard on this, and it, we literally got them the day before, but we had six compasses made for each of the six grandkids, my three kids and my brother's three kids. And these compasses are very simply, we created them because we wanted them to be a reminder of kind of one of my dad's last desires, last wishes, so to speak. He wanted them to always remember to stay true north. And so what we did is I'm actually holding my son Tanner's compass. I asked him if he could borrow it. He was beaming last night when I asked if I could borrow his compass. He thought that was pretty cool. My daughter said, you can borrow mine. It's like, okay, thank you. I just need the one. But this one is Tanner's. And so on the front, you, you can see it has his name Tanner. Right, And on the back, something really special to us and to them, it's uh, my dad's thumbprint. It's from his left hand. He was left-handed. 
But on the inside, it's really cool if you open up the, uh, the compass, and I'm looking at it right now, it simply has their name. So this one is to Tanner. So it says, Tanner, stay true north. Love, Grandpa. And then we put a portion of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 in there that says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. All three of my kids have these compasses sitting right next to their bed. All the way back since before the beginning of the summer. But here's why I bring that up. Those words that dad spoke, stay true north, if I was going to be really honest, they would mean very little to nothing if he hadn't lived his life that way. Right? If, if he would, like at the end of his life, would have kind of just tried to put the, the last minute stamp on things and be like, hey, by the way, you need to stay true north. Like, it, God's important. You need, you need to make God number one in your life. Don't all, never forget that. If my dad had never lived that way, showed us that it didn't actually matter, then let's be honest, those words would mean virtually nothing to us. You know why they mean so much? It's because every day, not perfectly, but consistently and faithfully, my dad showed us that God is always going to be number one and first, way before me, way before my brother, way before his wife. God was always number one, even when it was hard for us. I could tell a lot of stories of when God was first and we didn't like it but it was still right. That my dad valued family and marriage and relationships, all those relationships around him. That he lived with honesty, integrity, and that he lived with people around him. He allowed people into his life that spoke truth and helped him be better. The question I have for you that I want to leave you with this morning is this. What do you want people around you to know about you? What's the most important thing in your life? And then I will ask this. Are you living it? Are you acting on it? Don't just tell people to do it. Live it. Follow it. One thing that nobody has to guess is whether or not my dad was a faithful follower of Jesus. He was a faithful husband. He was a faithful father. He was a faithful pastor. And he was a faithful friend. But do you know why he was all of those things? It was because he was a faithful follower of Jesus first. Do that the other stuff falls into place. I promise you, that's true. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
you know that these last couple of weeks and these last few months for me and my family have been some of the hardest we've ever had to walk through. Well, it's been the hardest. But Lord, we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded today that no matter how off and wrong this world seems, because someone we love deeply and desperately has is now lost and has moved past this earth into eternity with you, or whether it's, it's everything else going on in this world, I pray that you would help remind us that you are there, that you've always been there, that you always will be there, that you call us to follow you and wrap our lives around you, that sometimes we replace you with a spouse, Sometimes we replace you with our children. Sometimes we replace you with hobbies and sports and all kinds of other things. God, help us to make sure that the first and center place in our life is occupied by you, by your love, by your grace, by your forgiveness, by your sacrifice for us. May we remember not only the words today, but far more than that, the life that my dad lived in faithfulness to you. Help us to follow you, Jesus. No, we can't do it perfectly, God, but we can do it consistently and we can do it faithfully. Help us to follow you, Jesus. Help us to love you. Help us to stay true north. Help us to fix our eyes. Everything on you, Jesus. I ask this and I pray this in your name, the matchless name, unequaled name of Jesus. Amen.